0: Step into the sin bin. This is Penalty Box Radio. Four-time
1: Best Sports Blog winner.
0: With Justin Bradford. Three-time
1: winner for Best Sports Reporter and Commissioner of the SECHC.
0: And Glenn Blackwell. It's time to talk all things hockey in the Music City. Penalty Box Radio is on. Smashville's Best Sports Talk.
1: ESPN.
0: 102.5 The Game.
2: Hello and welcome to Penalty Box right here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, and Glenn, the Natural Predators are taking care of business right now against teams that they need to take care of business against, one of those being the Chicago Blackhawks, who they've owned this season 6-0 against those Chicago Blackhawks with two more games left to play against them in the regular season. Vine for a playoff spot. Uh, the Nashville Predators put a whooping on the Blackhawks uh, last night, but there's a lot to take in on this because, yeah, they're doing the things they need to do, and they do control their own destiny slightly because the Dallas Stars are starting to chugga-chugga-choo-choo choo on their train. <laughs> And mm-hmm. rise in the standings and now with their games in hand are right on the predator's doorstep. But first, before we get deep into that, just your thoughts on on last night's game in terms of what the predators were able to, I'm gonna say overcome, but with goaltender use Saros and getting some some depth goals scored as well, and obviously go pucks to the net and some tip-ins. It was a mm-hmm. it was a pretty complete game for the National Predators overall.
1: It really was. Um, I think it's important to, I mean, the predators we're seeing them, they're pushing teams like Chicago to the outside of the ice. They're creating space for themselves. And like you just said, the tip-ins, they're setting themselves up for good results. Um, I think it's important to note too, though, that Chicago made it pretty easy for Nashville to enter the offensive zone. I mean, the Preds made it difficult for Chicago to do so. So I'm not discounting what the Predators brought to this game, but want to recognize that when the opposing team is making mistakes, the predators are capitalizing on it. And that's when when you're able to think quick on your feet and capitalize on those opportunities because no team is without fault. So take advantage of those opportunities when you get them. So in the event that the Preds do nail down that fourth spot in the playoffs, I mean, no, like I said, no team is perfect. So if you're getting all of this in, you're getting that the practice, you're getting that system in that you are allowing your hockey instincts to come very, very quickly and respond and act quickly to the mistakes of the other team. I think that's so incredibly positive. I mean, yeah, we're seeing all the big things. We're seeing them score like crazy. We're seeing them six and zero against Chicago this season, but we're also seeing that, you know, they're thinking quick on their feet and just like a Chicago did last night when they made those mistakes, Tampa Bay could make those mistakes. A Carolina team could make those mistakes and as long as you're out there capitalizing on it, in addition to playing your best game, you're really setting yourself up for success.
2: Sure, now so that's I, what
1: I was seeing a lot of.
2: Now, now, I will say it's more unlikely that Tampa or Carolina will make those mistakes.
1: in the I pool. know, but <laughs> you could have a moment, a moment. Uh-
2: a moment, but you need those moments you. to happen four times.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can have a lapse in a moment, but then you could. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just I, saying.
2: <laughs> I know, I know, I know you're just saying, but before we get into the reality check, let's look at the positives. Who would have thought Cali Yarncroft could be leading his team in goals this late in the season? I mean, 12 okay. goals for Cali Yarncroft. Philip Forsberg's still number two, and he's missed plenty of games at 11. Uh, Mikael Glenlin with 11 goals, who's been playing lights out hockey as well. Glennlin uh, looking like he fits in. Uh, mm-hmm. Big notes that... Uh, Ellie Tolvin in skating in practice today. So that's a very good sign for the national predators because the power play has been absolutely suffering without Ellie Tolvin and Philip Forsberg out there. Uh, another positive to look at would be Eric Hala. I mean, I know I was calling for him to be traded just in terms of roster spots, uh, but he's been playing pretty well. And the, the big thing that he contributed uh, in the, in the game was his faceoffs, and he really dominated in, on the dot. So Eric Halla was 11 of 12 in face-offs oh, wow. and the, the big thing for him is he was five of six in the defensive zone so he's only lost one in the defensive zone he's three for three yep. in the offensive zone three for three in the neutral zone but but five for six that's a lot of responsibility to be taking defensive zone face-offs and to win those and it was against multiple players he, he won two against DeBrinket. he won two mm-hmm. against strome uh he won against kurashev the only one he lost was against david camp so it's a small sample size there but Overall, he did his job in winning defense's own faceoffs. And like I've said plenty of times, faceoffs aren't a story until they're a story. Right mm-hmm. there, he is doing his part for his team in winning defense's own faceoff, gaining possession of the puck that reduces the amount of scoring opportunities the opposition is going to have. That's when it's a story. If a guy's hovering between 45 and 55%, not much of a story <laughs> to be told oh, yeah. there. But when you win 92% of your faceoffs, it's a story.
1: <laughs> yeah, when you control possession of the puck that often in a game, chances are your team is your team is going to do a little bit better than the opposition. I mean, that's just that's that's what the numbers are. So, well done for him.
2: Yeah, definitely well done for him. Now, here's one of the things too I wanted to touch on before we get to talking about Yusuf Saros, uh, late in the game. I know we've bagged on officials and officiating everything and I understand how difficult of a job that they do have, but late in the game, it's over in the corner. It's in the corner on the near side to the press box area. It's so the broadcast side of things, the penalty box side. We're seeing multiple cross checks. Duncan Keith is throwing multiple cross checks. Guys are just getting sick of it, of what's going on. And they start railing on each other. The officials just standing there watching late in the game of a game that is done, a, th- three goal deficit that is not going to be come back on knowing that these teams have to face each other two more times, not just this season, but this week and the officials are just standing there letting it go. That, that's where their job is to blow the whistle, call everything dead and get things under control. I, n- nothing pisses me off more in seeing officials do that, make mistakes. I'm sure if it's a fast call and they miss it because the game is so quick, but when you're standing there and watching a brouhaha take place in the corner like that and you're not blowing the whistle and seeing multiple illegal plays happen, like multiple cross-checks, that's when it becomes dangerous and player safety comes into comes into check. So blow the whistle, stop the play, break them up, and separate them because they have to play each other two more times. Yeah, rivalry is fun. Physicality is fun. It's necessary. It's absolutely necessary in this game. But when you see illegal hits happening, cross-checks, and it's getting easily out of control to where you can hear the crowd. The noise in the crowd is more of a, and you hear it, you feel it. Everybody knows the sense that you feel when something's not right. That was not right. And should have been called dead at least five to seven seconds before it did. And five to seven seconds in sports is a Mm -hmm. very long time. (laughs) That is a long time for things to continue railing on. Gotta blow the whistle. Get control of the damn game. That's all I want. Get control of the damn game. Don't control the game, but get control.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean at at this point they should know. They do know. They do they know do. when when it should be called. So
2: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we have, we have a great show tonight. We have uh, James Naveau, He's from Chicago with NBC Chicago and also on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, just because, I mean, hey, these two teams are playing each other a lot, so let's get a Chicago perspective, as well as Carl Taylor, the head coach for the Milwaukee Admirals, who's been currently with the Chicago Wolves. I mean, just his development of a lot of these players and what he's been able to prepare them for has been tremendous. We're going to talk with him as well. But first, we have a few minutes. Goaltender Yusasaros he's obviously getting talked about plenty, but one of the questions I want to bring up was, should he be in the conversation for the Vezina trophy? Not saying that should he be a favorite or should he win, but should he be in the conversation? When I say conversation, it's, should he be a nominee? Should he be one of the top three? And some people are like, No, come on. No. Well, I, I did some looking into this, into, into the stats. It's the simple stats that I'm going to look into the advanced stats on this. I'll go ahead and say that. But a lot of times when people are voting on this, they're looking at the stats, which are typically save percentage, goals against average, and obviously wins, and then some auxiliary things after that. Well, I did a nice little sort, and went with goaltenders that have played at least twenty-three games, and twenty-three games be half the season, which for a season like this, playing half the season is pretty impressive, given how many teams have had to use more than two goaltenders this season. Mm-hmm. So, in save percentage, Glenn, just because I'm, I'm I'm setting this up obviously, but where do you think Yusuf Saros is? in the league when it comes to save percentage right now?
1: Um, well, since we're having this conversation, I'm going <laughs> to say top five, six.
2: Even better. Yusuf Saros is number two overall oh, at a okay. 9-2-8. And he's played 28 games. Now, Andre Vasilevsky, who is the clear favorite, obviously, much yeah. deserved, plays 35 games. He has 27 wins and only seven losses, nine three zero. So Saros is just behind him. And then Mark Andre Fleury at a 925 played 30 games. Uh Sterkin with the Rangers, 27 games played at 925. So Saros, number two overall. Now let's let's look at the other one. Goals against average. Again, minimum 23 games played. Goaltender uses Saros, ranked fourth overall in the league right now at a 2 2 2. That's just I mean, that's that's behind Grubauer, Veselovsky, and Fleury.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just the fact, just those standalone statistics, when you look at the beginning of the season and the start of the season, exactly, we never would have sat on the show and said, fast forward months from now, we're going to have a conversation about how he should be in the conversation. Exactly. So the fact that we're having this conversation says so much about UCSR's performance. That's and crazy.
2: Now he's turned it around. Now, yeah. I, again, I'm not saying he deserves to win because no, Andre Vasilevsky absolutely 100%. But in the conversation is being one of the top goaltenders, a top three goaltender right now I mean, in the league. not
1: that make Preds fans have confidence in where this franchise is headed after Pecorine? The fact that he's in this conversation right now? I think uh, so.
2: Yeah, at least for a few years. And again, want to see bigger sample size of him being the number one starter for a full season where he's going to play like 55... 60 games, maybe, something like that, see what that sample size is like. But right now, as it stands, Yusuf Saros like it. <laughs> is right up there in the top goaltenders in this league, and he's turned it around. And that's one of the reasons why the National Predators are in the playoff chase is because of goaltender Yusuf Saros and his numbers that he's been putting up. Now, granted, they... They have an interesting schedule to finish the season. They still have to play Carolina. Uh, they still have some other games inter- that could be interesting uh, for, for him. But either way, he's been playing lights out hockey, and those stats show how much he's turned it around because he had some really bad games at the beginning of the season. So for him to give up the ranks like that is just worthy of saying, hey, maybe he deserves to be number three overall. And number three overall in the league, that's not too bad, given how the season has gone and how it started for him and how it ended last year for him as well. Okay, up next, let's talk with head coach Carl Taylor of the Milwaukee Admirals. See what he's been up to in Chicago, what it's been like for him in this very unique AHL season uh, for him, and just in terms of what he's seen of the preparation for a lot of these players that he's been working with for the past couple seasons and now making it to the big show in the NHL. All that up next, penalty box radio, ESPN 1025, the game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, and really excited to have on our next guest. He's been on plenty of times before, always tells it like it is, and really happy to have him. Carl Taylor, the head coach of the Milwaukee Admirals, joining us. Carl, thanks for joining us, man. Well, thank you very much for having me. So this has been one of those just unique seasons all across sports. I mean, was the NHL, the AHL, uh, the, the NFL, the NCAA whatnot it's been just such a unique season and then especially with Milwaukee Admirals not playing this season you've been in Chicago obviously with a lot of the Predators prospects with your players with Milwaukee Admirals what has this experience been like for you and what have you just learned overall from this experience that's been so unique
0: well I, I obviously starting out we were disappointed uh one you know our season last year when the season paused we were having a pretty good run so that was disappointing and then trying to get started back up. we were one of three teams that uh, we're not going to move forward this year. So once we got over the disappointment, we had to stare it down and realize what the uh, job is going to look like. So for us, it's been very different. Our staff has been driving five times a week, six times a week down and back to Chicago and helping our players that have been there. Uh, there's not many left right now. They've been all moved on to Nashville, a lot of them. Uh, but for the most part, it's been a, uh, a challenging time, but there's lots of people in the world dealing with a lot more than what we are, so uh, we're fine. And I think our players have uh, grown in Chicago and done a good job. Uh, we've gotten along with the staff there well, and so coming in, there's always worries about how's it going to go, but I think as a group, we're really focused on the season in the American League this year. It's very player development based uh, to almost 100% focus because of the situation. And so it's been very interesting for me because I'm more of a uh, I'm walking with the players a little more and I'm not worried about wins as much because I'm in a different role. It's more of a consulting role and trying to assist our players to backfill the holes they may have in their game. So if they get an opportunity, they'll go up and uh, do well and then hold their own. So it's been good. It's gone well. It's been very challenging in different ways. Uh, but it's also been rewarding watching our guys do so well that uh, have gotten the opportunity in Nashville.
2: And we're seeing so many of them perform so well that look like they're prepared and they're fully ready to take on that challenge when they do have that call up. And so looking at those challenges, because very few players are experiencing something like this, where they're playing with prospects from another team, that's also their NHL club being in the same division, which can be very unique that one day they may be playing with each other and the next day they're playing against each other. Now, granted, a lot of these guys are growing up playing against and with each other and things like that. But how do those types of challenges help develop a player to take on the other challenges they may face as a professional?
0: Well, you know, I think it's like anything in life, the more uh, experiences you have, uh, good, bad, uh, normal, whatever they may be, they're going to help you prepare for the next opportunity and whatever comes down the road. So something we've told the guys on both teams and it's uh, we're coaching all the players in Chicago. We are not just focusing on the Nashville prospects. Obviously, we have an investment in them more than the other side, Uh, but we're also trying to blend the team and make this the best we can. Uh, So I think it's gone very well. Uh, The Carolina staff has done a good job and everyone's gotten along very well. Our focus has been on, again, focusing on the player development, but having the players to have to go through different circumstances. I think part of it is, um, like, as far as I know, there's no playoffs in the American League uh, or in our division. Uh, So we're focused on the games we've been given, to enjoy those, uh, a couple of reasons for that is in uh, two months when the season's over and the players are getting up early to go to the gym, they're going to be wishing they were still had some games to play. So we want to make sure they grab the opportunity they have now. Uh, but from our perspective, we're really trying to help the kids understand and, and experience different positions. So uh, I'm helping out with the power play. So based on that, uh, I'm leading the power play in Chicago. And so what we're trying to do is, put guys in different spots and moving through different areas and uh, give them a lot of experience um, looking ahead to next season, wherever we end up, the players end up playing uh, Nashville or in Milwaukee. So we're really trying to accelerate their growth and get ahead of things. So that next year, when we do have to make decisions, we've got more information to make better decisions to assist the players in their development, but also to help the Milwaukee Admirals win some games.
1: And coach, speaking of those players that we've seen with the Predators, um, I could probably just say Tanner Janot and not even follow it up with a question. And you probably have plenty of good things to say, but obviously love what we're seeing in Tanner Janot's game as of right now. He jumped into this lineup and never once looked like he didn't belong here. So just what is your overall take on his game and what you see him continue to bring to this lineup as his game continues to develop and mature?
0: Uh, Tanner's got a lot to offer and I uh, couldn't be more, uh, more happy for a young man who deserves success based on how he's approached things and what he's done. So uh, our whole staff has worked extensively with Tanner and assisted him and guided him. But again, we're just, we're just little pieces that help in the end, the player has got to do the work. And in Tanner's uh, development, he came in his first year, uh, set out some games, got going, he got injured and then this season was over. The next year he came back, he went to the East Coast League to start. Another bitter pill for him. Uh, It was only for five or six games, but that's a difficult thing to handle. Came back, we gave him some assignments, he stared them down, he moved on. And then uh, we had our own identity line with Matty Olivier and Tanner Jeannot. And Josh Wilkins was a center on that line. They did a great job for us. And so a lot of confidence obviously was growing within our team because we did win a lot of games and we had a lot of success. So it allowed people to grow. And then coming into this year, Tanner was in a situation where the American League is a little different this year. Uh, There's less, um, I would say, older Grizzly veterans in the league than we usually would see at this level. It's a younger league with the junior players coming in. So Tanner had a great opportunity to get a lot more opportunity on the power play, more of a leadership role. um, And just it was perfect timing for him to grow and build himself into what he is. And he's, he's doing exactly what he needs to do in Nashville. So that I think the most exciting thing is, is when you see these guys go up there and we are speaking about Tanner, but even the other players that when we get to watch the game and it looks like they're playing in Milwaukee, but they got a Nashville Predators Jersey on, then we know they've arrived and they got a comfort level to allow themselves to perform and allow themselves to play the way they would here. And I think that's a great sign of the staff in Nashville for what they've done to create that comfort and allow them to get to that point where they can play like they're in Milwaukee.
1: And also wanted to talk to you about Alexander Carrier. We got to see him truly playing very, very well prior to his injury at the beginning of this month. We saw him score his first NHL goal. At one point, David Poyle said Carrier had been good enough to play himself into a regular position here. Um, so I want to get your thoughts on his game as a whole and how you feel like he's positively contributing to this predators team when he is in the lineup.
0: Yeah. So like initially with all the injuries, a lot of our guys came up, uh, not everyone, but a lot of guys came up because of uh a need. And it wasn't necessarily, hey, we're looking to make a change or we're doing this or that. And it doesn't matter in the end why or how, but when you get a, a guy like Alex Carrier, who is just an outstanding young man who has been very patient. He's a fifth-year pro. He's got games here and there. He's had to dig in and change his game a little bit and round his game out. Um, And he's another guy similar to Tanner where, you know, when we give him a list and say, look, you got to work on A, B, and C, he's uh, stared it down, gone and done the work and built his game up. Um, in this summer, this past summer, during the break, I, you know, I, Alex was one of the per- people I talked with and worked with in our group. We split up the players within the staff to make sure we were staying connected with them. And I said, Alex, I don't want you to think of blue. I want you to think of gold. And I, re- I want you focused on national. Like, don't even think about Milwaukee. So uh, he went in with that mindset. And then it's very disappointing when he got reassigned. That's a difficult thing you know, you're four or five years in, he's hoping he's going to stick around. And then he had to come to Chicago for a while and then things occurred and he got a chance to go back. But those, those ups and downs at that point in your career, um, unless you're a very mature athlete and comfortable in what you're doing and feeling like you're prepared for that next opportunity, they can throw you down a real bad spiral. And uh, I was really proud how he handled that. And then when he came back, he worked his way in and got an opportunity and, you know what? He looks like an NHL defenseman and he looks like he secured a spot. Like you said, David spoke to that. Uh, couldn't be more happy for a young man who really deserves the, the uh, success that he's getting. And
2: again, um, Carl Taylor, head coach of the Milwaukee Admirals, join us right now on Penalty Box Radio. And, and Carl, looking at some of these, these signings as well, the natural predators have had. I mean, David Ferrance got added and then Mark Delgado got added. And so obviously the prospect pool continued to grow again, as we always see when the end of, end of the college hockey season and then this summer more will get added to the team as well as a a coach too, looking at this how exciting is it for you to just see new players getting added to roster and seeing how you can potentially work with them and help them achieve their goals in their career because that's what it seems like you're so focused on which is awesome is that developing guys to be better for themselves better athletes better humans and just all around just better people as well so how does that excite you when you're always getting that chance to work with new people all the time
0: Well, we warn the returning players all the time that there's a draft every season. So (laughs) there's more guys coming. So you better prepare for the competition you're going to receive from the new players being signed and coming in. And they're going to have expectations. And uh, you know, sports is a really tough business. There's new young guys coming every season. They want to kick you off the chair and take your job. So if you don't want to be in that situation, you better prepare yourself accordingly. Um, When we sign new players, the uh, our scouts and our management team has a lot more knowledge about the players than we do. Uh, we take a little bit of information from what they tell us, uh, but we want the players to determine where they're going to slot in and and start the season or where they're at. Um, I'm okay with them having to earn it a little bit. I think it's very good for them. Um, you know, obviously, some guys get more of an opportunity early based on draft status and all these different things that happen. Those are all the Uh, things we must balance as a coaching staff. And when we're making decisions, Um, but at some point they're going to have to earn it. So when we sign new players, we we receive them with open arms um, and open minds. And we want to make our own evaluations. We want them to come into Nashville's camp, summer camp, develop, get to see them, get to know them, build a relationship early. Um, That's the goal of us is to get that relationship going so that When they do arrive, if they do start in the American League and they are in Milwaukee with us, they walk in. It's not the first time they see you. They see a face. They recognize, oh, I saw him in Nashville. He's part of Nashville. It's not just about Milwaukee. So then that player understands that we're part of the development chain and they're going to have an opportunity to earn our trust so that if we get a phone call and they say, hey, who should get an opportunity? They're all wanting us to say their name. And we tell them we have no biases. It's going to be whoever we think is going to do the best job is going to get that opportunity. So when you get new players in, it's very exciting, um, especially when we're signing these college kids and the junior kids that come in. We just dealt, we had uh, we only had uh, Phil Tomasino as a young guy, but Carolina had four junior players. So we had we had five really young players. We got Luke Evangelista here who's going to go back to junior next year. These are young, young kids. Like they're 18, 19 years old. And I just chuckle, but that's when Tolvin had started in the American Hockey League. So we're talking about how young these kids are and they need time. And they need time. So different for Tolvin, which has been well-documented of the expectations and the results. And another really young guy who's finally hitting his stride, getting what he needs, but he's perfectly on time. He's 21. So the staff is always excited to work with new players and to develop them. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, we want to win games in Milwaukee too. That's a big part of what we do because as a coaching staff, you know, we have goals and aspirations as well. And some of that is we want to, we want to all, all my whole staff wants to coach the NHL someday. So that's a goal for us. And that's something we really, really would like to do. How do we do that? Well, we have to balance the development with the wins and back and forth. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier in Chicago, the Carolina staff is in charge of, the team, it's their team, we're kind of visitors. And so we're, I'm not getting any wins or losses in Chicago this year on my coaching record. So we are definitely walking with the players and 100% invested in what they need. And uh, you know, sometimes we get a little more invested in getting some wins in certain days, but that's not the case this year. So it's a really unique situation for the players to feel like they're uh, they're supported, they're walking with consultants, they're able to talk and communicate um there's such a free flowing communication that we have we always have that but this year it's a little more it's a little uh a little different with us not having the ice time and having all these things the players are trying to get more of from us we don't control those elements so uh, that's been very interesting
2: Absolutely. And we can definitely see the fruits of the labor of the staff uh, in the players when they get called up as well. And uh, yeah, we weren't even really able to touch on Tolveden and Thomas because are just so many guys to talk about. But as always, Carl, we, we certainly appreciate your time and your insight. Just uh, really happy that uh, things are going well, even though it's been challenging and can't wait till, till the fall to get back to normal so the Milwaukee Admirals can get right back at it.
0: Yeah, I appreciate the time and uh, let's get through this. We're almost there. It seems like there's a light at the end of the tunnel and we just got to keep being smart and making good decisions as, as uh, per the pandemic and all the things we're dealing with and hopefully we can move forward and we'll have a full American League season next year. That would be outstanding.
2: That would be awesome. Well, Carl, thank you so much for joining us. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you. All right, folks, head coach Carl Taylor, Milwaukee Admirals. Fantastic interview as always. So glad to have him on and what he's doing with the Chicago Wolves right now this season, but obviously very excited to get back with the Milwaukee Admirals next season and just the, Terrific development of players up there in Milwaukee. Okay, up next, James DeVoe, NBC Chicago, and the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Up next, let's talk Predators, Blackhawks, Penalty Box Radio, ESPN, 1025, The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Boxer here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, and let's talk Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, two more matchups, the National Predators facing the Chicago Blackhawks. We have James Naveau. He is with digital content with NBC Chicago and also co-host of the Madhouse podcast, talking about the Chicago Blackhawks and says he's a not-so-secret Canes fan as well, which I know a lot of people in the South are, too. It's It's one of those things. They're a fun team to watch. Well, James, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
3: Yeah, it's uh, something that has gotten me in a little bit of trouble this season since they're all in the uh, Central Division, but uh, generally a friendly bunch down there in uh, Raleigh, so it's good times.
2: Uh, a friendly bunch, and boy, do they have a good team down there as well, where I know both the Predators and the Blackhawks still just vying for playoff position, so just overall this season, it's it's one of those things that's funny seeing it out there, how certain teams seem to have other teams numbers like right now, Nashville, Chicago's number, but Carolina has Nashville's number. And then Detroit has Carolina's number. Mm-hmm. It's just weird how this has been. What's been the fan base reaction in Chicago just with Nashville, with Nashville being 6-0? I know it's got to be frustrating knowing how Chicago can go and they could beat a team like Carolina sometimes, but they just can't get over the Nashville hump.
3: Well, your listeners are probably going to be really happy to know that it's a rage inducing (laughs) thing. I think for a lot of Blackhawks fans, obviously the Nashville Predators have been one of those teams that have kind of developed a nice little rivalry with the Blackhawks over the last couple of seasons. I know that a lot of Blackhawks fans really do view Nashville with kind of grudging respect, maybe as a pesky little brother, just to kind of give you the sense of the way Blackhawks nation kind of views uh, the Predators. To me, this season was kind of struck me as just how well Nashville has exploited every single one of Chicago's weaknesses, every single game that they've played against each other. Tampa Bay has done it at times against the Blackhawks, but at least Chicago has been able to score a few goals here and there. I mean, Nashville has allowed eight goals to the Blackhawks in six games. That is monumentally frustrating to watch for Blackhawks fans and all credit in the world to Nashville for being able to just frustrate the Blackhawks, especially in the neutral zone and with the incredible goaltending that the Predators have had. But if I had to sum it up and to say the way Blackhawks fans kind of feel about the way Nashville has played against them this season, it's just sheer frustration and just can we please be done with this yet.
1: And James, speaking of the fan base, Nashville and Chicago fans alike both recognize the importance of these remaining two games, two teams that did not look like they were going to be in a playoff hunt suddenly are within arms reach. We saw Monday night win for the Predators, but we've also, I mean, we're still going to see a hungry, determined Chicago team, I'd imagine. I don't think they're down on themselves just yet. So Um, What did you see out of the Blackhawks game last night and where do you see them kind of shifting their focus ahead of game two of this three game series on Wednesday.
3: I think the the focus obviously has to be on improving the defensive effort for the Blackhawks. They are just allowing Nashville to get way too many easy opportunities to get clear in front of the net. You saw that on several goals last night, saw several defensive miscues, including by some of the Blackhawks veteran defensemen last night. It was just a really rough effort overall. So I think that that has been kind of the ongoing focus of the Blackhawks is trying to ensure that you're being defensively responsible in all areas of the ice, not allowing open shots. That's something they're definitely going to have to do, but they are also going to have to figure out a way to move the puck up the ice and to create some opportunities. You saw the Blackhawks fourth line doing that a little bit last night, Adam Godette and David camp did team up for a really nice goal as the Blackhawks going to try to get back into the game, they are going to need more of that. And then especially with this series coming back to Chicago, they really are going to have to take advantage of any lineup matchups that they could set up. And I know that'll probably involve Jeremy Colleton trying to get Kirby Dock, Patrick Kane, Alex Dabrinkit, Pia Suter trying to get those guys on the ice as often as possible to try to get as many scoring chances as possible because those defensive breakdowns have been so prevalent. You just do kind of have to score more often than you're opposition and that's something going to be really important for Chicago
1: and speaking of the defense I mean they're kind of in a bit of a pickle right now they're down a few defensemen and what's making I think even more difficult is them being limited on a right shot defenseman so you've got players who are consistently trying to play both sides of the ice which that can be very tricky at times and it can wear it can wear on the team so do you see that as something that maybe is contributing to that struggle and maybe something that 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 would kind of balance back out once these players start to return from injury.
3: I think that's a really interesting question. It's not one that we've really gotten into a lot, just because in the past, the Blackhawks have been able to kind of have those left-handed defensemen able to kind of slide over to the right side and to still be serviceable. And I know it does take a special kind of blue liner to do that, but you have seen some guys struggling with that. I think to me, probably the bigger issue right now has just been the chemistry and the line pairings. It's been really difficult to kind of keep the same blue liners on the ice at the the same time you saw Kalnick went out with an injury last night. Adam Boquist recently went into the NHL's concussion protocol, so he hasn't been on the ice. So it's been really hard for Colleton to kind of find defensive pairings that have been able to kind of mesh up both skill set wise and responsibility wise. And I think that that is something that obviously is going to be a challenge throughout the rest of the season with both those guys banged up. Calvin DeHaan still probably dealing with a little bit of a hit pointer, even though he is in the lineup for the Blackhawks, it's just going to be really hard for them to kind of try to find some pairings that work, but hopefully being at home, they can kind of dictate those matchups a little bit better. And I think that's kind of what Jeremy Colleton and the coaching staff are going to be banking on in the next two games. And again, joining us right now on penalty
2: box radio is uh, James DeVoe is with NBC Chicago and the Madhouse Chicago hockey podcast. Uh, Two more matchups coming up between the National Predators and the Chicago Blackhawks. And I know one thing that I think everyone has been doing now is looking at the schedule for all three teams and then really deep analyzing things that we have zero control over. And that's what we've been doing is like, well, they're going to win this game. and They're going to win this game. That one's going to be tricky. That one could go to overtime. And I know everybody's doing that. That covers the Blackhawks, the Predators or the Dallas Stars. Overall, James, with your look at the schedule, I mean, Dallas has a pretty favorable one this week with four games against Detroit. And then obviously Chicago has to face Dallas to close the season, which could be very pivotal uh, for this team. Just what's your take on the schedule between these three and what's the outlook kind of looking like for you in terms of how this is all going to, to lay out over the next couple of weeks to close the season?
3: Well, going into this, we kind of obviously thought that the Blackhawks had their destiny at least a little bit in their own hands, right? Because as you alluded to, you had the three games against Nashville. You do have the two uh, games against Dallas at home to wrap up the season. This just is really a tough stretch for the Blackhawks coming home. They not only have those two games against Nashville, you also have home games against Tampa Bay and Florida. Florida obviously been playing off the charts good this season. And then, oh yeah, a three game and four night road trip to Raleigh. That just the Blackhawks are putting themselves in a really disadvantageous position. I don't even know if that's a word. I'm just going to throw that out there. (laughs) To me, I feel like if the schedule is going to have any impact on this down the stretch, it is definitely not in Chicago's favor. But at the same time, you do kind of have to tell yourself as a player, as a coaching staff, This is what you want. You want the ability to kind of control your own destiny to have those games against teams that are in your division and you're chasing them. I mean, think about it. If the Blackhawks beat Nashville, the next two games, I know big, if they've lost six games in a row this season, we've all watched the games. I get it guys if they win those two games, they're tied in the standings and they have a game in hand on Nashville. And I know the schedule down the stretch is really tough, but the reality is it is still within your control to a degree. And I know that obviously Dallas is coming, you know, they're hard charging up the standings. They're the defending conference champions for a reason. The Blackhawks just have to focus on what they can control. And right now that involves two games against Nashville, that you can end up tied with them and have a game in hand coming out of it. If you play well, the next two games.
2: And one player that I'd like to focus on because I really wanted Nashville to draft him a a few years ago was Alex Dobrynkit. Small guy, he didn't get as much talk about, but he's proven himself to be pretty darn special. And from even what I've seen in last night's game, As a smaller dude, he is willing to throw the body. I mean, he is not intimidated by bigger guys out there, and he'd be very physical. What else about Alex Dabrinkit is special to where he's obviously making a name for himself where he can continue to be in this league given his quote-unquote smaller stature? He's obviously proven himself.
3: Well, obviously, we've seen the Blackhawks have guys with smaller stature be able to kind of succeed and thrive before with Patrick Kane, right? He came in by foot nine, hundred and sixty pounds. Everybody said he was too small to do anything in the NHL. And all he did was put on a bunch of muscle, win an art Ross trophy, and have a probable <laughs> Hall of Fame career, right? I'm obviously not saying Alex Brinkett is in that same camp, but you can see kind of the mentality similarities between the two. Alex DeBrinkert, like you alluded to, not afraid to throw his body around to be physical. He's a really smart, instinctual player, makes some really good plays on defense. And I think to me, the thing that's kind of stood out about him most this season has been the fact that he had such a down year last year just could not buy any puck luck whatsoever. Came into this season with a completely refreshed attitude, absolutely playing lights out hockey, one of the best offensive players, I would think, in the Central Division, if not all of the Western Conference, whatever you want to call it. I think that he's really he's done a really good job this season of kind of turning things around and kind of playing to his strengths, which is making those smart defensive plays getting to the places where he can be open and get quick shots. You saw that on his goal last night. I think that Alex DeBrinkit has had a really good bounce back season because he's a really smart hockey player and is playing to his strengths and is staying away from kind of the dangerous open ice hits that could potentially leave him vulnerable. And I think he's just done a really good job of using his intelligence to have a great season he's
2: been fun to watch and obviously he's one of those guys the Predators have to control if they have any chance of winning these games uh, very pivotal pivotal games for both of these teams coming up the next two obviously in Chicago so going can have a big play in that But well, James appreciate your insight so very much I know folks are kind of everybody's butt clenching right now it's just it's the season uh, to, to tighten it up and everything and then waiting to see what
3: Dallas does but
2: appreciate your insight and looking forward to these next two games
3: yeah, thank you for being very hospitable hosts. I'm always worried about going into enemy territory, but you guys are both very friendly. I appreciated it. <laughs> hey, we we try to do our best here.
1: <laughs> thank yes, you. As are you.
2: All right, James Navo. he's with NBC Chicago covering the Blackhawks, as well as with the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. And you can follow him, James Nouveau, uh, on Twitter. And really good having him on. Glad we were able to find him <laughs> on, on the Twitterverse. Uh, very, obviously very knowledgeable about the Chicago Blackhawks. Make sure you give him a follow to get that perspective of Chicago. So, Glenn, how do you think these next two games against Chicago goes? Predators obviously 6-0 against this team, but very pivotal matchup. So give me your prediction.
1: Definitely pivotal. Um, I do think that Nashville's going to go in with that confidence behind their back of the six and zero. I mean, I, and coming off a Monday night's game, um, I think they're going to take the next two. But there's always a chance that one could one could fall under the radar. So, absolutely,
2: I'm going to go with three points. Three points out of four, which still obviously yeah. is very very good. But got to keep an eye on Dallas. Okay, up next, plenty of questions y'all asked us. We're going to take that up next here in Penalty Box here at ESPN 102.5 The Game. Welcome back to Penalty Boxer here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell. And all right, plenty of questions came in just regarding multiple things here. First of all, uh, this one comes in from Troy. Where does Mark Tokaizo fit in the lineup with a little winky smiley face? Obviously, I understand he's probably not going to make the lineup, but it is good for them to sign another one of their college hockey prospects uh, to get him going in because, as we know, (laughs) they've been going through defensemen like – Inappropriate words that I can't say right now on the radio.
1: (laughs) Yeah, don't say those. But they have been going through them.
2: They haven't (laughs) gone through this
1: promising to think about the future and after talking to Carl Taylor thinking about the potential development of all these players it's that's really exciting
2: it, it is and the guys are just coming off winning the national championship with UMass so mm-hmm. big time momentum for him in terms of his career uh coming in defenseman he obviously gets able to get involved in the plays as well so he fits he fits the mold of nat- the natural predators and what they want out of their defenseman which is great He's a 2019 a fourth round pick a 109 overall I mean he played three years at UMass He wore an A last season, 14 points in 27 games. Previous year, he had 15 points in 22 games as a defenseman. Uh, His freshman year, he had 29 points in 41 games, which was his draft year, the 2018-19 year. Played also in the USHL. So a little bit older. I mean, he's 21, which is good for his development as well. So another good defenseman to add into the mix uh, there. Okay, next up, this one comes from Johnny. Uh, The Preds play Carolina on the 10th of May. The Stars and Blackhawks play each other on the 9th and 10th of May. Does the final playoff spot get decided before these games or over these final two days of the season? I think it comes down to those last games of the season, Clint. I really do. I do too.
1: I mean, like we were just talking about this whole Dallas Chicago Nashville thing I think it's going to be down to the wire Um, I'd be shocked if it wasn't
2: yeah it's the the way things are setting up especially the games in hand I think Dallas is probably going to jump up into fourth at at a point in time and then they'll hit their tougher part of their schedule uh, to close it up because they have Detroit this this week and that's obviously just a little bit easier for them not saying Detroit can't get a win because they've beat teams before Uh, so uh, but I think that's what's going to happen we're going to see plenty of fluctuation and as we said with James DeVoe butt clenching time for all three fan bases just trying to figure what's going to happen there because it's it really will come down to the wire all these games (laughs) but all these games in hand will throw things off people like well what's happening well three games in hand is a lot that's a six point swing potentially for a team like Dallas and that would jump them right up it solidly into fourth right now so yeah I think it comes down to those final couple of games and who talk about being on the edge of your seat Okay, this next one comes from Dave Forsberg, Dushane, Tolvanen, go. That could be an interesting line uh, right there. I mean, from what we've seen, Duchesne has been looking pretty good at playing the wing. Mikhail Glennlin playing the the center part right there, too, because we weren't sure what they were going to go with with Duchesne being healthy. If he was going to knock somebody off the center, they're going to put him at wing. Well, we see right now what's been going on is they're putting him at wing. And he's looked comfortable out there and looked good out there. Mikhail Gladlin has looked really good at center uh, as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when Forsberg and Tolvanen are healthy. I still did like uh, Johansson between those guys as well. Either way, they're desperately needed for this power play. Desperately needed for the power play.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Dave, I think you kind of summed it up. Just Forsberg, Duchenne, Tolvanen, go. Okay. Sounds good. Let's go. Let's see it, you know? <laughs> just, just
2: get those two guys out there. Get them out there. Uh, all right. This one comes from Smashvillian. Uh, Tomasino, when do you think we might see him? I thought we were going to see him uh, in a game against Detroit potentially before, but that obviously did not happen. Maybe against Columbus, but then again, you're sitting him for a long time, just practicing with him. And he's not playing a game when he could be playing games at Chicago maybe they feel like he's at this point to where he's developed enough to where he can just bide his time and wait for it. I don't think they would have called him up if they didn't want to at least see him play a game, but they've been very comfortable with their yeah. lineup. Like no one deserves to come out of the lineup right now either. Even with yeah. the games against Carolina, there wasn't a guy who's like, he's got to go. Uh, so yeah. that's, that's the, that's a troublesome part right now. It's good to have those problems, but I still want to see him get a game in just so he can get his debut over with and then move on from there.
1: Oh. Yeah, that was kind of my thought process because we were on here last week saying that we just couldn't imagine a scenario where they'd bring him down to not play him because you want him to at least have that, that time. So that's very interesting. I'll be very curious because I do not know when we're going to see him.
2: All right. This one comes from Jackie. Actually, has a two-part. So that's the first part, and then we'll address the second part. Uh, what expectations do you all have if the Preds make the playoffs? Glenn, what are your expectations?
1: OK, my expectation, I would I would love to say you got to you got to show that what you did or didn't do at the trade deadline was something I think my expectation is you have to show that was a success. You have to make it through the first round. I don't have the expectation that they're going to make it through the first round, though. So my expectation is. If they make the playoffs, they're out in the first. What OK, is yours?
2: That's that's similar to mine. And folks, this, this is this is not me being down on the preds. This is not me saying they don't deserve or belong there. The top three teams in this division are in a completely different tier compared to the national predators right now. And that's just that's just the way it is. Even if the predators are fully healthy, they're just in different tiers right now. And we've seen that in terms of speed and everything. When they play Florida, Florida, yes, has some troubles in net. I think Florida would be the best matchup possible for the National Predators to get past the first round, just given the questions that they might have in net. But Florida is a very fast team. We've seen how fast Florida can be when they're playing each other. Uh, So that's still not a good matchup. Tampa, Carolina, completely different league. Completely different league right there. And that's where I don't see them getting more than a game or two in a best of seven series. And this is, if anything, they make the playoffs. It's a great experience for the kids on this team as well. It's a great experience for them for their future just to get in and see what it's like to play in a playoff atmosphere and to just see what it's like to lose as well. I mean, you don't get better at winning until you lose. And that's that's very important for these for these young players, these rookies, to all learn to how to play with a chip on your shoulder, how to come back next season after a full off season of training, and how to come back bigger and better and ready to roll. That's my expectation: is that they they don't win around, but it's not all for naught because one, the team's going to get more money coming in, which is very important in a pandemic season that they need more money coming in because they haven't been able to sell out their seats like they typically do in a normal time to get over 17,000 people in there and then some plus concession money. So just getting that money from TV contracts and more tickets being sold because they've increased their attendance is very important for the future of this franchise and the the stability of it and then the experience level. So those are my expectations. And I wanted to explain that so people don't think, well, you just don't believe in them. It's not about believing. It's just a different level of skill (laughs) more than anything else. And then the second part of Jack's question was if Tolvin and Forsberg stay healthy enough through the end of the season. So that means do they come back? Does that change all set expectations? No, it doesn't. I think it might make it a little more difficult, but overall the teams just don't match up as well. Uh, so that would help their power play tremendously. But if anything, I'm looking at experience and how you can build into next season. Uh, and that's that's just what I have. It's not a less believing from me. It's just, that's how I believe it is. If they, they could, anything can happen in sports. People can be surprised all the time. It just happens like that. All right. Well, for Glenn Blackwell, this is Justin Bradford. If you need anything more, go to penaltyboxradio.com. Plenty of podcasts for you to enjoy there. If you missed any of this, it'll be on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, whenever you need it as well. And thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on Penalty Box ESPN, 1025 The Game.